This morning, before we continue our series in the book of Philippians, I felt compelled coming out of our series, we were talking about love, talking about loving the Savior, loving the Scriptures, loving the saints, loving the sinners. I felt compelled to tackle the subject of evangelism. Because I believe it is a perfect place to us, for us to go in response to what we have studied and what we have seen in our first four or five weeks together as God's people. As evangelism obviously is going to involve our love for the Savior. It's going to involve our love for the Scriptures. And it's going to involve our love for the sinners, the lost people in this world. So if you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to look at verses 19 and 20 to begin our time here this morning. In Matthew 28, you're familiar with this, Jesus is already been nailed to the cross. He's been raised from the dead. He's now made an appearance to his disciples. He is preparing to leave. He's preparing to go back to heaven. But before he goes, he wants to give them their responsibilities. And what he gives to them, he is giving to us as well as God's people. When he says there in verse 19, go therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Love it, as we come to this passage, other passages we're going to look at, we're going to discover that the Bible is very clear about evangelism. We're not left to guess about it. We just need to take the time to put together what God's Word has to say about it. And as we begin this morning, I want us to begin with what I call the meaning of our evangelism. The meaning of our evangelism. That is, what do we mean when we talk about evangelism? When we talk about evangelizing someone? As one church leader has put it in the past, he said, quote, Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. And that's really a good description of what we mean when we're talking about evangelism. Because in the end, beloved, we're all beggars. And the thing is, as Christians, we have just come to know... We have just come to know the one who is the bread of life. We've come to know Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. And in coming to know Him as our Savior and as our Lord, we're now a beggar who has come to find the bread of eternal life and we're just going to the other beggars that are out there in this world to tell them about the bread of life. To tell them about Christ. We're the ones that they need to hear it from. 
We need to tell them why they need this bread. Who it is that will provide this bread for them. How it is that they can receive it. And beloved, it's important to think about this because the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ that we're coming to present to people, to proclaim to people so that they will embrace him. Unlike what we saw with the children of Israel where God rained down the bread to the earth for them so that they could just walk out of their house and eat it. Beloved, if someone's going to experience and know the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, they have, we have to go out to them. We have to go tell them. We have to bring it to them. That leads me to my second point this morning. I call it the mandate for our evangelism. The mandate for our evangelism. It's found here in verse 19 that we read a moment ago. It's found there in that one word, go. Really, having God, the assumption that Jesus has here, that if they're followers of his, true followers of his, that the assumption is they will be going. Having God to make disciples of all the nations. And understand, especially to this Jewish crowd of that day, this would have been something different to them because when you read through the Old Testament, when God was working through the the, the nation of Israel, remember God raised Israel up as a nation so that they would be a witness to all the other nations. And in doing that, all the other nations were to look to the nation of Israel to understand the glory of God, the one true God. But see, what's different here for us as the church in the day and time in which we live, we're not here waiting for the world, the nations to come to us. He says, you go out to the nations. You go out to the people. You scatter to them. And understand, beloved, this mandate that we find here is for all of us. Now, it is true that the Bible does teach that there is a gift of evangelism for the body of Christ. Over in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, where it gives a list here of of the pastors and teachers, and it talks about apostles, and it also talks about evangelists, that the Spirit of God has given to the body of Christ evangelists, that those that have been specially gifted by God, by the Spirit... In the area of evangelism. But also, beloved, he has given those evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to teach and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's for the saints. It's for all of us to be involved in this endeavor of seeing people coming to Christ. This goal here is for all of us. You go over, turn with me to the book of Acts for a moment, to Acts chapter 8. Turn to Acts chapter 8. It's what I want you to see that even early on in the history of the church, and remember, the church began in the book of Acts. You will find that the gospel didn't really spread outside the Jewish community And it really didn't spread even outside the the city of Jerusalem very much until 
all the saints got involved. Because what you find is through the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, almost exclusively the preaching, the teaching, the proclamation, and the evangelism that was going on was going on through the apostles, through the twelve apostles. And it's not until we get to Acts chapter 8 that then the, the gospel goes forward to other people groups because the people scatter. Look at verse 1 of Acts chapter 8. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. That's referring back to chapter 7 where you had Stephen, the man that was put to death for his faith. And it says, On that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, notice, except the apostles. Now keep that in mind as you continue to read here in just a moment. Persecution came to the church at Jerusalem, and the only people that really stayed around at that point in time were the apostles. The church, the people who had truly been born again, they scattered. And they scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Verse 2, some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He put them in prison. But notice verse 4, therefore those who had been scattered, that was referred to back in verse 1, they went about preaching the word. Do you notice that? And it is now when the gospel noticed. Go back to chapter 1 for a moment in Acts. Go back to chapter 1. Beloved, this is what one of the things I love about preaching is you never know exactly what you're going to say. I had no plans to go to Acts chapter 1, but we're going to Acts chapter 1. And notice something, whenever they were told in verse 8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem? Well, that's what we saw in all of the first seven chapters. Then in all Judea and Samaria. Well, if you go back to chapter 8, this is now for the first time the gospel is going forward throughout Judea and into Samaria. But that didn't happen through the hands of the leadership of the apostles. That happened through the hands of the people. When the people were persecuted and they scattered throughout those areas running for their life, but they went running for their life. But when they got to wherever it was that they were going, they started preaching the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ that's how this was actually fulfilled God put the pressure on them to get them out of their comfort zone and in so doing they went out and they were scattering about preaching the word and we see people beginning to get saved there in the community of Samaria and then the gospel keeps going forward beyond that. But we are all called and expected as Christians to be involved in evangelism. 
We have all received the Holy Spirit. So the, the Spirit of the God has come upon us. We all have the power of the Spirit of God who dwells inside of us. We've all been called to be witnesses unto Christ. One of the most interesting things you'll discover is you look oftentimes in churches that it really should be the, the, the other way around, but, but typically it's those who are the babes in Christ. Those who are the newly born again believers are usually the ones that are still just amazed at the salvation that God has given them and they're just on fire for the Lord and they're the ones that are going out and proclaiming the gospel and telling people about Jesus and their need of Christ. But it seems as though as that person becomes a Christian a little while longer, they begin to slow down in that sharing of the gospel. They begin almost to stop in the sharing the good news of salvation in Christ alone. And we can identify with that. We can understand that. Maybe it's because as, they, as you go out and you start telling people about Jesus, you, it's hard when you get rejected. It's hard to receive rejection. Now remember something also, beloved, when you think about that. The rejection is not really of you. The rejections of the Lord. But it is easy to be, get discouraged. It's easy to get dismayed. It's easy to become fearful. I mean, I understand it. It can be a fearful thing and at times in just proclaiming the gospel. I recall, this has been many years ago. For the most part, beloved, I'm a pretty quiet guy. So if I get on an airplane, typically, uh, I'm usually just a guy that's, I mean, I have my Bible or have a book I want to read. And, and uh, I was flying uh, back from California. And, and typically, I just get something out and start reading it and just kind of mind my own business, do my own thing. Well, on this trip, I happen to have my lovely wife with me on the trip. She's not quite that way. She's sitting in the middle. I'm sitting on the aisle. And there's another guy sitting next to the window. She strikes up a conversation with this fellow. It turns to spiritual matters. She elbows me to get me to engage in what was going on. So I do. And I'm just talking to him just like I'm talking to you. But though I keep talking like this tone, he's getting louder and louder and louder. Because he's getting angry at everything I'm saying to him. As I'm just sharing him with him the gospel. And he's telling me his idea about life and his idea about, about religion. His idea, and I just say, well, I understand that. But here's what God says. God says... That if you die without Christ, you will spend all eternity separated from him. I don't believe that. And as he just gets louder and louder, when we I'm telling you, if that man could have, he would have taken me and thrown me off the plane at that moment. I mean, he, he was just furious. He was red in his face with me. And when we finally land and we get off and we're walking to the airport, he just comes flying by us, walking by us. And some gentleman about three or four rows back comes over and he kind of just pats me on the shoulder and he says, I was praying for you, brother. 
I knew what you were in. I knew you were in a battle for this fellow. And I, and I pray for that fellow. I pray for him today that, that God will open his heart. So I understand there's a, there's a fear that comes from sharing the, sharing the gospel. We can, responsibilities in life can begin to push out our desire to share the gospel. And even this, beloved, I know at times uh, that it can begin to be seen as just the pastor's job. It's just the pastor's job to, to share the gospel and to do evangelism. And it is true. If you look over in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, you'll see where Paul told Timothy to fulfill his ministry. And part of that was do the work of evangelism. That is a part of the calling. But also, beloved, as we look over in the book of Ephesians in four, chapter 4 that we, I talked about a moment ago, also, God has given the pastor and the teachers there of the church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And a part of the work of the ministry of the church is evangelism. Let's just sum it up like this when we think about this mandate that we have for evangelism. Whatever our reason may be for not evangelizing, please understand that it is mandated by our Lord. And as we talked about last Sunday from the book of Philippians, where Paul says, I am a slave of Christ. Remember, you are a slave of Christ. You're here to carry out his will and his agenda. So, beloved, I want to encourage you to just be involved in it in some form, in some fashion. Because it is something mandated here, having gone Go make disciples of Christ. But let me give you one other aspect of our philosophy of evangelism. And that is the motivation. What is the motivation for our evangelism? What is it that should really move us? What is it that should stir us? What is it that should compel us to talk with people about Christ? What is it that should compel me to be faithful to pray for the salvation of someone? To give financially to causes for the spreading of the gospel. What is it that would move me and make me do that, cause me to do that? Well, one of the things should be love. Love for Christ. Remember what we talked about? Go over to the Gospel of John again for a moment, to John chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, if you recall, when we were looking at loving Christ, if we love Christ, we're going to love His Word. And notice what He says in verse 15, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And I just shared with you from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28 there in verse 19 and 20, that that is a commandment that is given of us by the Lord, to go make disciples. So if we love Christ, out of our love for Christ, we will keep this commandment that He has given us to go out and make disciples. That should be something that moves us, our love for Christ. But beloved, furthermore, not just our love for Christ, a love for the lost, a love for the sinners. 
We saw that when we look. God so loved the world. That world there is filled with lost sinners. And out of his love, he sent his only begotten son into this world. So beloved, out of our love for this lost world, we need to go out into this world and share the good news. As Paul says it over in the the book of Romans, listen to this in Romans chapter 1. He says in verse 14, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am just eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed of it? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Because in this gospel, the righteousness of God God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written but the righteous man shall live by faith Paul is someone who is just eager to preach this gospel he has, because he has a love for the lost and he knows that it's through the gospel. That gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He knows no one's going to get saved. No one's going to know Christ unless somebody goes and tells them the gospel, preaches the gospel to them. But the people can't get saved just by looking at creation. Creation can condemn them because it gives them no excuse, according to Romans chapter 1, because they can look around at the world around them and see through creation from the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the grass, the flowers, the deserts, the rivers, the the oceans, the waters, everything around them, and they can see clearly the majestic hand and power and authority of God and know deep in their heart there really is a God, there really is a creator, And if he is the creator of all this, he's my creator. And if he's my creator, then I am accountable to him for my life. I'm accountable to God. God created me for him. But that's all, that's what creation will do. They are going to need the the revelation of God from the pages of scripture. They're going to need the gospel. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of Christ. They have to hear it. That doesn't mean necessarily it has to be something that is verbally spoken to them. It could be something that they they pick up and read. I want to say it was one of my uh, New Testament professors uh, over at Louisiana College, Dr. Nick. I believe he was from Russia. He was, was a soldier And if I remember his testimony correctly, I think he got saved. He was a soldier standing by a fire, a campfire. And and one of the things that they were burning was a gospel track. And he just happened to pick it up and he began to read it. And when he read it, God saved him. He came to know Christ. That's the power of the gospel. And beloved, we should have such a love for Christ and a love for the lost that it moves us to go out. When we pray, one of the things I have stressed to us in our time together is that we need to pray for 
sinners. We need to pray that our love for sinners, our love for lost people will grow. But beloved, understand that as we're praying that, we, we are to be praying that we and others will start telling people about Christ. Letting sinners know of their need of Christ. So beloved, you should be moved by your love for Christ. You should be moved by your love for lost souls. And you should be moved by your love for God's glory. God is glorified in the salvation of sinners. Is that not what we should desire? That we just want God glorified on the face of this earth? You look over with me for just a moment. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. And notice what he goes on to say in verse 15. For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people, the saving grace that's spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. You see, that's what we should love. I I love for my Father, I love for my Savior to, to be glorified and He is glorified when a lost sinner repents of their sin and comes to Christ by faith. The more that is happening, the more that person is giving thanks to God and giving glory to God. And that should move us But beloved, not just a love, but yes, fear. Fear should be something that motivates us to share the gospel. One fear, in some sense, for yourself. Not that you would lose your salvation, but when you look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and you see that believers are standing before the judgment seat of Christ, there will be an evaluation of our life, there will be an evaluation of our works and the things that we have done since we have come to know Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. And those things that are not of eternal value will be burned up. They will be consumed and there will be the loss of rewards that can be there for us as a part of the people of God. And that should be something that motivates us us that we want to make sure that we're living our life for things of eternal value. And beloved, I can't think of anything else that has such eternal value than the sharing of the gospel with people. That that will, if we do it out of a love for Christ, out of a love for the lost sinners, out of a love for the glory of God, beloved, then we know that that is something that will stand the test and the evaluation before our Savior. But not just a a fear for ourselves. Brother, we should be motivated out of a fear for lost people. They may not know to be fearful, but we do. They don't know they should be afraid. But we know they should be afraid. And there should be a fear in our heart for them to know that God has fixed a day 
fact, look with me real quickly over in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17. Look at it. Paul is preaching to a large group of unbelievers who had bought into the philosophies of their day. These were not unintelligent people. These were very intelligent people, philosophers of the day. And he's standing there talking to them about Christ. And he is so bold as to tell them in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he, that is God, has fixed a day and he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. And when he judges this world, he's going to judge this world in righteousness. That is through his righteousness. And he's going to do it through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father has fixed a day of judgment. As the great preacher R.G. Lee used to say, there is a payday someday. There is a day of reckoning for every single person. That day of reckoning is coming. Where we will stand before the great white throne. And just to see that, just so you don't think, well, this preacher is making this up. No, go to the last book of the Bible. Go to the book of Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11. Here's what the Apostle John sees. I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Beloved, this is what God has promised. A fixed day of judgment. And notice, no one gets to escape. It's the great and the small. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if someone died at sea or they died on land. It doesn't matter. The Lord will raise them and have them to stand in judgment before Him. So let me ask you this morning Are you spiritually ready? Are you spiritually ready for your last day on this earth? Are you spiritually ready for your last breath on this earth?
Let me ask you this morning, if you were standing before the throne of God and you're standing in His courtroom and He gets the books and He opens up the books and He turns to the pages that cover your life, what would be there? What would it say? You see, beloved, here's the good news for the believer. For the believer, the one who is the judge is also our lawyer. He's our advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one who will offer the defense for us. And you know what the defense will be? The defense will be his life, his death, his resurrection. He will offer himself as the the substitute. He will offer himself as the one that we are to look to, or God is to look to. He offers himself as the defense. But you see, for the unbeliever, the unbeliever stands there in the throne room of God and the courtroom of God before the throne of God and they have no lawyer. They have to represent themselves. And they have to come up with their own defense before holy, sovereign God. And they have no defense. There's nothing that they can offer because as we read a moment ago over in Acts chapter 17, this fixed day of judgment, he's going to judge them in righteousness. His righteousness. That means he's going to judge them according to his standard. And his standard, beloved, is pure, holy perfection. No one has a defense. Especially when the Bible explicitly tells us there is no one good, no, not one. There are none who are righteous, no, not one. And when Paul writes that, and he has to keep saying, no, not one, because he knows how mankind is. What we tend to do is read, there are none good, except me. There are none righteous, except me. So he would say, there's none righteous, no, not one. That is, no, not even you. You're not righteous. You're not good. You have nothing to offer God. In fact, when he opens up the books, it's like a ledger. This is what the Apostle Paul came to realize. And we're going to get to it when we get into Philippians chapter 3, when he's giving his testimony of how he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This was a very religious man. And here's what Paul thought until that moment he met Jesus. He thought when it came to this day, that when God opened up the books, and it's like it was a a, a ledger, and in that book you have the assets for the person and the liability. And what Paul thought was he had built up so much in the asset column. Yes, he had some liabilities over here, but he had built up so much in the asset column that he was in the black and God would accept him, that he would have earned enough righteousness, enough good deeds, enough good things for God to accept him. But what he found out that day that he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, that all those things he thought was building up an asset column for him were actually all in the liability. He had zero, nothing in the asset column. Nothing he had done. All the religious deeds, all the studying, all the the, the 
proselytizing, everything he had done, he realized those were actually building his debt on the liability side. He wasn't getting closer, he was getting further. He was getting more and more and more in the red every day, every moment, everything he did. That's why he said I had to come to the conclusion that I had to be willing to forsake it all to gain Christ. Because here's the good news. When you're willing to recognize that you're a sinner separated from God and you have no hope, you can't establish your own standing with God. You can't establish your own righteousness with God. You can't do it. No one can. And when you realize that, then you realize, well, what hope do I have? And that hope is in Christ. It's in Christ alone. Jesus has taken care of everything for you. And if you will believe in Him, if you will turn from your sins, turn from what you're depending on, and trust in Jesus, then His Righteousness, His life, what He has done for you on the cross, that gets credited to your account. And guess what? That wipes out all of your liabilities. It wipes it all out. It's only through Christ. And beloved, as you read, you look back again, it speaks about a book of life. And it says in verse 15 of Revelation 20, if your name is not found written in the book of life, it is a guarantee you will be thrown into the lake of fire. And that's an eternal lake of fire. Now people can have differences and understanding about when a person's name is written in the book of life or can a name be erased from the book of life. But the one thing that everyone agrees on is this, that if your name is not in the book of life, then you will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire. That is only believers, true believers, whose name will be in the book of life. So, beloved, here's the good news. The good news is is that if you will truly repent, truly count the cost and come to Jesus and trust Him as your Savior and Lord, you can be assured your name is in the book of life. You will be covered. You will be cleansed. You will be credited with all of what Jesus has done because that's the only thing that God will accept. He accepts no other payment. He accepts no other payment. And so my prayer would be for you this morning is that you're motivated out of a love for Christ and also out of a fear of Christ. Come to Christ. Committing your life to Christ. Notice he said making disciples. You're you're becoming a follower of Christ. Trusting Him as your Savior and as your Lord. I want to ask you to bow your head in prayer for a moment.